You're listening to the Podcast Factory. Yes, greetings everyone. This is Kabaka Pyramid from Kingston, Jamaica. I, I'm actually in the uh, beginning of making a, a song that's called Stop Touching My Belly, I'm Lactose Intolerant. When I was, you know, when I was a baby, I was really into just uh, doing weird pictures and I wanted to be an artist when I was a kid. I just want to be able to continue on doing what we're doing and have Metal Church get out there to get to the level where the band deserves to be, where Kurt Vanderhoof deserves to be, and the music that he's written. That, that's what I would like. But all you had to do was be able to make some noise and express yourself, and it was complete freedom, and there were no rules and no expectations. There was simply self-expression. Reach to the stars. Uh, do the best you can. Put all your energy behind whatever you partake in life. Do the best. Do it 100%. Hi guys and girls. Welcome to a new episode of What's Your Story. Today we have James Kennedy. Now, James Kennedy is a singer-songwriter. He's producer. He's in the band called Kaishira. And he's also the owner of Conic Records. Next to that, he's also a writer, so we thought it is about time to find out where he puts all his clones, isn't it, James? Yeah, man, I, I mean, well, I've been doing it all a while. I mean, I've been doing this about 10 years, so, um, I mean, I haven't been doing it all at the same time for 10 years. So, I mean, there was periods when I was focusing mostly on the band, and then the label kind of came later. Um, and then uh, I started doing songwriting for other people and production and publishing things um, sort of later on as well. So I've had, pe- I, I don't tend to be good at all of it at the same time. I tend to focus my energy um, on one thing at a time. But o- over the years, yeah, I've uh, <laughs> it's added up quite a resume, I think. And what do you prefer the most? Um, I kind of like, I, I get bored easily, very impatient, so I like to have variety, so I mean, um, like I love touring with the band and I love being on stage with the boys, there's nothing better than, you know, playing a live show and jumping around again hot and sweaty, but then after a while I find that I start getting frustrated with, you know, some of the bullshit that comes with that, you know, like um, other bands' managers and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, eating, eating petrol station food every day and stuff like that. So uh, it's kind of nice then to come home and do very unrock and roll stuff, you know, like um, work on publishing or writing or something like that. So I kind of like to have that variety, you know. Now, on your Twitter page, uh, we can read This is a Movement. Are you starting a revolution? Well, that was something that started kind of at the start of Kaishira's um, thing with the band. Uh, the first two albums with Kaishira very political. We were, we were a very political band. Um, so the lyrics were very topical, very kind of outspoken, and the, and the music was very challenging as well. So it was, um, it was very much a unique force. I mean, our third album, Circle, was a lot more mainstream, um, and the lyrics were dealing with sort of personal themes rather than political themes and the music was a lot more melodic but when we first came on the scene it was very much a um a tour de force you know it was a very challenging noisy unpredictable technical music and you know very um in your face lyrics and we kind of felt when we started and we came on the scene that we didn't really feel like we fitted in with anything that was already existing and we did feel like we were kind of um 
you know, ambushing the, the scene with a new sound and a new message and we weren't taking any prisoners. And this is a movement kind of um, summed up for us what we felt our band sort of symbolized. It wasn't just another band with a cool look, you know, and, and all that, and a fashionable sound. We felt like we kind of stood alone and we represented something a bit more um, substantial, you know, and we wanted to be a, a, a voice for uh, for change and, and issues and things. Uh, all very pretentious, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how the band got together, or, or are you high school friends? Or <laughs> Well, um, me and the bass player Matt War have been friends before the band. Um, but Matt played in a different band. Um, we used to do a lot of gigs together, like supporting each other and things mm-hmm. on the scene. And then when we lost our bass player, um, Matt's band had broken up, and uh, it just, it, you know, it was a perfect, uh, you know, it was a perfect collab, really. Um, but Matt met Glyn, our drummer, um, whilst he was out drinking in Cardiff one night. He saw Glyn playing with another band and approached him, and um, we managed to get Glyn on board as well. But before that. Um, we had a lot of different drummers. Um, the bands has, has had a different drummer on every album. Um, so the, the lineup only really stabilized um, towards the third album when Glenn came on board. So yeah, I mean, we've sort of, we're not high school friends as such, but we've all known each other in one way or another through, you know, the, the Cardiff music scene. Now, what would you change about it, the world? Um, I think equality of um, uh, the access to power i think um democracy true democracy and then let the people decide you know and if the people decide to um make a mess of it then we have to accept that but uh, i think whichever ideology we look at whether it's communism or capitalism or anything in between um or dictatorship even um power is always concentrated in very few hands at the top where all the wealth and the power resides at the top um there's not really any true democracy even in you know the, the democratized west um so i think for me i would change that i would i would i would uh I dictatorially impose true democracy on the world <laughs> <laughs> now did your fans get any expectations um by putting yourself as role model of change Yeah, I mean, it never really caught on. I mean, we still use this as a movement, but I think um, it never really caught on the way that we thought that, that, you know, the way that we intended it to be. We thought everyone was going to be like, wow, there's this new band and they're saying this stuff, but <laughs> it didn't really work out like that. <laughs> Now, was the change of, of, of lyrics perhaps the reason why it didn't catch on or... No, I think it was more, I mean, we became more melodic and more uh, accessible just through um, just through the trials of time, really. I mean, my musical interest, I think after having done two very intense albums that were quite musically technical and lyrically heavy going, I think I personally started to experience different things in life. Then I personally started to experience, you know, um, heartache and loss and confusion and Um, wonder about my personal sense of meaning and, and all that heavy stuff and I that sort of started to come out more in the writing then and I became much more interested in um, the craft of songwriting as well and um, in, and sort of um, being able to mobilize an audience in a room rather than trying to beat people around the head with my big ideas you know um, so it we gradually became more accessible I think just through through that really just my my 
change in um, interest musically and lyrically. Um, but I don't think that we didn't catch on with this as a movement um, because of that, really. I think it was just, um, I don't know, I think the music industry, especially in like alternative and, and mainstream rock circles, is still very commercial, and it was back then as well. I just don't think that our message really fitted in with, um, you know, the corporate rock world. Do you still remember the very first record or LP you ever bought? Yeah, I do, I think. I think it was, um, you may not remember this, it was Doctor Who and the TARDIS. Well, I actually only know uh, yeah, Doctor Who from the series. Um... Yeah, there was a band from the 80s. I can't remember what, no, it must have been the 90s. I can't remember what they were called. Um, and they all wore like white sheets over their head, like a Ku Klux Klan kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, and they had this song and they were just singing about Doctor Who. <laughs> um, I have no idea what any of that was about, but I remember it being, I think I saw it in a shop and I didn't have any records at the time. And I, you know, I think it was cheap, but I just wanted to buy a record. So I bought that one. Did you end up watching the show or? No, I've never been a big fan of Doctor Who. Like everybody absolutely loves it, and I really wish that I could get it, but I, I don't really understand. I, I watched a couple of episodes, but um, yeah, it didn't get my attention to to look out uh, to go start binge watching. <laughs> yeah, but you tried it. You know, you didn't write it off. You gave it a you gave it a go. Now, a personal question. Um, I read on your Twitter feed that um, you're four months sober now. Now, of course, by sharing um, such some, something personal like that, um, you immediately also inspire other people perhaps to stop drinking. Yeah, well, I, I used to talk. I mean, I used to love drinking. I mean, I'm drinking a beer now, but it's a non-alcoholic one. Um, Bex Blue. But I, um, I, I love a drink. And um, I don't have any vices anymore, really. I mean, I used to smoke and I used to, you know, use drugs and things like that. But I gave all that up gradually, one by one. And then I got really into health and fitness and eating good. And beer was my only remaining vice, really. And I loved it. I used to drink every day. <laughs> and I really, uh, really indulged for, like, many, many years. So I was always talking on, on social media and in videos, you know, about my love of, uh, of a good drink, you know. Um, just like you guys in Belgium and um, so yeah I mean when I decided to stop and I stopped overnight and I, about four months ago I've not had a drop since um, I thought that I would um, let people know about that because um, I know people that do follow me on social media would know you know how, how much I love a drink so I thought well if you know I'll, I'll tell them what I'm doing mm -hmm. and then yeah if anybody else has been following my sort of story online um, they would know that if I could stop drinking, then uh, then surely anyone can. Now, of course, temptation for drinking is everywhere, especially here in Belgium too. Um... Well, I mean, yeah, there's two sides to it, like I say, because I mean, I love drinking, but also, I mean, uh, I don't know if you've been to Wales where I lived before, um, but I mean, you know, we're, we're as bad as the Belgians, you know, we love a drink over here. And socially, it's like the only thing that people really do around here. There's pubs everywhere. Um, same as you guys, you know. Um, so it is kind of everywhere all the time. It's the main thing that we do to sort of socialize or relax or unwind or whatever. So it is hard to avoid. Um, and also, I do love it. I mean, I didn't stop drinking because um, I dislike it or, or anything. I mean, I, I, 
I, I still miss a drink, and that's why I drink so many um, non-alcoholic beers. <laughs> I, probably, <laughs> I, probably, I probably drink more beer now than I ever did before. It's just not got any alcohol in it. Um, so, yeah, it is really hard, but I've not, um, I've not found it that much of a problem yet. Um, socially, it's difficult, obviously, because everyone around you is getting really drunk, which can get irritating after a while. Mm. Um, but I don't miss hangovers. Um, I don't miss waking up the next day full of embarrassment and regret about what a dick I made of myself the night before. Um, and yeah, it's great for like losing weight and staying in shape and stuff. And I think with these non-alcoholic beers, you know, you can still be a social drinker and still be, you know, having a, a beer with everybody um, and still feel like you're having a beer. But obviously, you know, you don't then end up getting drunk and doing stupid stuff. Now, you're also a fierce reader. And what struck me in your reading list uh, was the book 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, do you think we're moving into a society like that? Um, I think there's always the threat of it. I mean, societies like that do exist. I mean, you know, places like North Korea and, and other places, you know, where uh, people's access to information is so controlled by the government and everybody's um, movements and everything are, are completely um, su uh, under surveillance all the time. But the, you know, the government is in complete control of the coming and going of everything and, and the information that people know. I mean, that, that does happen in, in certain places around the world now um, to varying degrees. It could be argued that we've got some of that in the West too, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think 1984 is just an important classic book that I, I wanted to put on the list because um, I think it's one of those books that everybody should read, really, you know. Now, he was already a great visionary at that time because he even got a couple of things right, things that happened. Yeah, it's worrying. I mean, some guys have just got their finger on the pulse. They understand how power works, you know. Um, they understand the, the patterns of history and, uh, and they've just got a great way of communicating that as well like an Orwell was an amazing storyteller as well as a great thinker um, and just you know he's a classic British author um, I've, I've read pretty much all of his books and I love all of them I mean Animal Farm is another book as well that I, I should probably add to that list because that's just a classic yeah that's a great one I mean I think uh, from what I understand it's specifically about the Russian Revolution but I mean it can equally apply to any kind of hierarchical structure or, or revolution I think like you know, on, on large or small scale. If you could go back in time, meet yourself at the age of 12, would you say anything to yourself? What would you change? Yeah. Um, do better at maths. <laughs> get better grades. <laughs> get yourself a proper job. What can we expect uh, in the near future from you? Record-wise, music-wise? Well, that's an interesting question because um, I've got a few meetings in London this week about that very uh, subject. I mean, I, I finished my solo tour last month, um, well, July actually, um, and that was that sort of finalized the album cycle of my last solo album, Home. Um, so that kind of wrapped up that. Um, until that point, um, everything was about sort of promoting that album and making videos and, and doing things like that. But that album's kind of, um, that album cycle's finished now. So as for what's next, in terms of my career as an artist and in terms of the label, um, all of that is kind of on the table at the moment. I'm not really sure. 
and it's quite that's it's, it's one of the nice things about being an independent artist is that i haven't got somebody cracking the whip telling me now <laughs> to immediately make another album and get back on the road you know um but at the same time when you have to make all the decisions yourself it, it can be difficult sometimes you know so um and at the moment i'm kind of in a in a kind of um gray area where it's like do i make another record is it going to be with the band or another solo record um and in terms of the label um what do i do do i um merge the label with another company now that it's at a certain level or or do i keep it independent and, um, and, and branch out into different markets like in Asia or something like that. So there's, I got a lot of sort of ideas, um, but I haven't formulated it all in my mind yet as to what sort of package it's all going to fall into, which will work for everything, you know? So yeah, I don't really know. I mean, uh, I wish I had an answer for that because that's what I'm thinking about at the moment. <laughs> Are there any artists that inspire you? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm inspired by a variety of um, artists across different genres. Like, um, I've always been big into hip hop music as well, um, you know, for um, the lyrical content and also for um, the independent ethos that a lot of those guys have had, you know, like um, JC or Immortal Technique and all those guys are independent and they run their own operation as well as being the artist. So I'm inspired by those guys. Um, but I just don't, uh, I'm ashamed to say, I just don't have the drive that they've got. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've, I've come from, uh, I suppose, a bit more of a pampered uh, background than some of those guys. And um, I'm at a stage in my life now where I live in a nice detached house out in the countryside. I've got no neighbors, so I can make as much noise as I like. I've got a nice big garden, nobody bothering me to do anything. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I think... Yeah, maybe I'm a little too comfortable. I'm a little bit too comfortable out here, and I, I take way too long to, to make decisions and think about things. So maybe, maybe I do need somebody cracking the whip and telling me what to do. You know, there is of course no shame in just hanging back and, and enjoy a bit of life too. Of course. Yeah, I, mean, I know what I'm like. I'll get bored after a while, but I mean, for the past. 10 years I've been literally non-stop you know setting everything up writing all the music releasing it through the label doing all the promo suing record companies touring um, suing managers and it's been literally my 24 hours a day uh, reality for the past 10 years so I think it's a kind of be in a position now where things are kind of coming together and um, You know, I do have access to my own audience without having to rely on a label or a publicist or anything like that, um, where I can kind of stay afloat as I am by myself. Um, it's kind of nice, I suppose, to have all those years of hard work and stress and fast-paced kind of living, um, be able to sort of um, come together, you know? I mean, I don't want to sort of get too comfortable because that's when you you take your eye off the ball and that's when things fall apart. So. Um, Uh, so I mean, eventually I will get bored of just like hanging out in the countryside, but uh, <laughs> at the moment it's definitely slowing me down a little bit. Is there anything still left on your bucket list? Oh, tons! Yeah, tons. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, like you know, I want to tour the world and do massive shows, and you know, I, I, I want to write the best songs I've ever written. Um, I've never really felt like that, and I think that's a good thing, to, you know, to keep feeling like your best work is yet to come. Um, I want to be a better musician. I want to write. I want to learn and discover. You know, I've, I've still got like a, a lifetime's worth of, uh, of content 
to to make create and um and to learn about and consume as well you know um so yeah i mean I, i'm in it for the uh, i'm in it for the long haul now james name something that you love to do but that you're bad at Ooh, bad at but love to do hmm that's a really interesting question i don't know and if you had to make a choice well drumming then i mean i i would love to be a drummer but i'm absolutely rubbish at it <laughs> It's the cool instrument in the band. I would absolutely every time I'm sort of like jamming along, like air jamming to a record, it's always air drumming. So uh, yeah, I mean, if, if it's a musical instrument, yeah, it would definitely be that. I wish I could do that better, um, but I, I absolutely completely suck. I've got no coordination whatsoever. Maybe in another life. Oh, I'll tell you something else that I suck at, but I really want to do is I've been trying to learn French for about two years, and um, I don't know if you can speak French, but I mean. Uh, You can. That's a hard language, man. If you would have like an unlimited budget, um, what would you do in life? Or would you organize? Um, would you, for example, invite all of your Twitter followers for just a gigantic cruise? That would, that would be absolutely insane. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I've got very few um, demands in life like that, really. I'm kind of rubbish with things like that because... Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's loads of things that I want to do, which money gets in the way of, you know, like I'd love to travel the world and do like, you know, an actual around the world trip. And I want to go and see China and Japan. And I went to India this year. That was amazing. Um, so I would love to do like a proper all around the world trip, go to South America and things like that. Um, I know that would cost a bomb in order to do that, you know, on a proper scale. Um, so if I didn't, if I had unlimited budget, I would definitely do something like that. Uh, if I won the lottery or something like that, the first thing I would do is um, buy my parents a nice house and give them a pile of money so they would never have to work again. Um, and do the same, you know, um, for, for my everyone in my circle. Um, kind of boring stuff like that, really, I suppose. Now, James, thanks a lot for making the time for this interview. Um, I wish you, of course, the best of luck uh, music-wise and also in life. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate you squeezing me in as well. It's so short notice. It's been great to chat to you and uh, you know, finally get to speak in person. Yeah, of course. And, and uh, if you're ever in Brussels, we should meet and, and have a beer together. Yeah, if I come over, I'll let you know. And, and likewise, when you, um, when you come to the UK as well in London, you know, drop, drop me a line before you come and I'll, I'll make sure I come across and meet you. Yeah, excellent. Um, until next time then. Great to speak to you. Bye, Dave.